Welcome to Canva Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, hone your message, and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the phrase nonfiction brand, which is the thought provoking marriage of prose writing that is based on facts real events and real people with brand, which is honestly still quite elusive to define for many people, which is why we talk about it, take courses about it and hire experts to figure it out for us. My guest for this episode is one of those experts. DP Knutin is the chief collaborator at his company, Collaborator Creative, and has worked with mega brands like Coca-Cola and The Athlete's Foot, had successful 10 years at mega agencies like McCann Erickson and DDB Needham, and is the author of nonfiction brand, Discover, Craft, and Communicate, the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Welcome, DP. Oh, thank you so much, Barbara. I love being on your podcast. Oh, I love having you here. And I really love your book. And so I wanted to start by saying there's an anecdote early in the book about you listening to a keynote speaker and nodding your head because they were saying everything that you already believed. And I felt that way reading your book. And there I was like annotating and yes, oh my God, yes. And you just said it so much better or your articulated thoughts I had that was like, I've never been able to say it like that. This is fantastic. So thank you so much. That's awesome. Great to hear. I, I really encourage everyone. And I, you know, just to point out, it's was a labor of love during the pandemic for you, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things that uh, it actually started, I want to say four days before lockdown, because I was at Social Media Marketing World and one of my friends had with her a brand new baby in the form of a new book that she just had published. And if you've ever written a book, it's very much like birthing a baby not that i would know but uh, i do have three daughters and my wife tells me it was very painful uh but when it comes to creating a book it's if you're a writer it's it's a lot of blood sweat and tears and when i saw her with her new book baby i got really kind of jealous that kind of author's envy and i started thinking you know i've been thinking about a new book it's time for me to actually do it and then the other thing I heard at the same social media marketing world convention or you know meeting was someone tell the story of an Australian golf pro who decided that he was going to try to get into the Australian Open golf tournament. And to prepare for it, he was going to go live every single day for on social media for I think something like 107 days and you know one day is he's going to work on a short game other days he's going to work on his putting whatever and he found out that during the telling of that story and the demonstration of who he is what he does and how he does it he achieved an audience or he received an audience that really appreciated him because he is who he is he is the brand that he projects because he demonstrates that he is on a daily basis. So I was inspired by that. And I wrote the book in 301 days because when I got back from San Diego, from social media marketing world, there were 301 days left in 2020. And uh, so I wrote the book and it went live uh, January 1st, 2021, right in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, it, it was a good uh, opportunity to put a lot of thoughts that have been in my head for, for decades, literally decades, and put them on paper because uh, 
you, if you're listening to this podcast, you may not know it, but if you're looking at my face, you can see a lot of salt and pepper in my beard. It's mostly salt, not much pepper. But uh, let's just say that uh, I've lived this and now I'm sharing it, which actually is a foundational idea of what I call nonfiction branding. Tell the truth about who you are, what you do, and how you do it, and then demonstrate it, demonstrate it, demonstrate it. We're going to keep circling back to this, but I want to dive in because you have so many incredible nuggets. So one, understanding, and, and you go into this, is brand is differentiation, and that's why it's so important, right? You talk about that. But one of the things I love, because it comes up all the time for me and my clients and my students in the camera-ready world, you said something I love so much. How can imposter syndrome be a good thing? Oh my gosh. You know, a lot of people look at it as a, uh, this flaw in the system. And I'm like, no, it's actually the thing that keeps you sane and honest, or maybe not sane because, you know, you have to worry about it. If you think you're an imposter, you have to struggle every day to prove you're not. And you can look at that as, oh my gosh, that's a terrible thing. Or it could be, you know what? It keeps me honest. It keeps me working to find the flaws in my copy if I'm a copywriter, or maybe in my data analysis if I'm a data analyst, I have to pay a little bit more attention and make sure I'm not fudging things. You know, If it keeps you honest, if it forces you to refocus on what you're doing so that you actually deliver what you are confident in as a good thing, I think that's a really good thing. So imposter syndrome can be a hindrance, or it can be a call to greatness. And frankly, you get to choose. Make it a call to greatness. I'm not, not something that holds you back. I, I just, you're, first of all, you're the first person I've ever um, encountered who said that, but I was like, you're spot on. And I wanted it to start here because it's foundational because to me, it, it's almost universal. And it is one of those things that makes people stop and think that they don't have a brand or they can't get to that next stop, that next step. And I love that you said that everyone is a unique combination of expert and amateur. And so just yeah. being able to accept in the ownership, I've got to tell you for the audience, anyone listening, I, the book nonfiction brand is like one after another, it's page after another. It's just like, so my copy now is just like one giant pink note after another. Oh. And, um, and the other, so as we get deep into your process and, and the, cause I love part of the book too, is you don't just tell us what, but you tell us how. And so the other thing that really hits in the solar plexus is you have this great line. Who are the people benefiting from your lack of a personal brand? Oh, it's everybody, but you powerful. I mean, think of it. I mean, I like to point to specific examples so that people can latch onto it. Mm -hmm. And one of the, um, uh, let's call it professions I like to pick on a little bit are realtors because you see the very best in realtors and you see the very worst in realtors. You see the realtors who are fronting and you can tell they're fakey, fakey garbage. And then you've got the realtors who become so close to you and your family that you invite them to your kid's graduation. How can a single profession have both? <laughs> and the answer is because every profession has people who front, who fake it till they make it, and then others who are actually themselves, they are learning, are proving it on a daily basis, are being it until they see it. And actually, I was talking to someone else the other day and talking about the difference between people who fake it till you make it. And I understand if you're 20 years old, 
you pretty much have to fake it until you're 30 because you don't have the experience to draw upon and being able to fake it effectively can get you a seat at the table where you then prove your value by demonstrating your worth. And that's the key, demonstrating your worth. So if you're young, does that mean you can't start building a personal brand? No, of course not. You certainly can. What I'm saying is you need to base your brand, your personal brand on who you actually are. You know, I like to say who you are, what you do and how you do it. And then demonstrate that over and over and over again. So I, I was mentioning realtors. You got the ones who are all fake, you know, all cap teeth and glittery jewelry who are presenting themselves as the masters of realtors, while there are others who are like, they become your best friend because they understand exactly what you're looking for. They care about you, not just the transaction that comes when you sign at the closing on the house, but everything that gets you there. What's the difference? Well, in my life, I've had relationships with, I'm going to say about 10 different realtors. Half of them were fantastic and half of them were, okay, we'll never use you again. Why is that? Well, because the ones that were fantastic knew exactly what they were good at. They were specialists in not only real estate, but specific sub niches of real estate. Like for instance, one time, uh, for a period of time, my wife and I lived in Colorado, and we wanted to move into the mountains outside Denver, so we went to someone who literally marketed themselves as a mountain specialist not for people who don't want a ski chalet home that they visit once or twice a year, but a mountain home that they live in 24-7, 365. There's a huge difference. If I'm looking for a place in the mountains and I have children, I also need to know about the school district. And do they have buses? Do, uh, how do we get from A to Z? And what's the soccer league situation like? Because my daughter's heavily into soccer, all that stuff. If I'm talking to a realtor who only wants to talk to millionaires about ski chalets that they visit twice a year, I am gonna be woefully unsatisfied. But if I talk to a specialist, who is talking to people who want to live in the mountains, not just visit and ski in the mountains, but live in the mountains, that person has so much more value. Consequently, when I stumble upon those realtors, they become the ones that I recommend to other people who mm -hmm. want to do exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not looking for a realtor. I'm looking for someone who can specialize in mountain living, mountain lifestyle living. That's different than someone who just wants to get a transaction for a million dollars on a fantastic looking ski chalet. So now we're going back to part of this too is brand and discoverability. And then we get into the cousin of imposter syndrome that I love that you addressed. And again, it's all part of the foundation, false modesty. And so for anybody listening, and this comes up so much with my clients, is this discomfort around the idea of um, tuning one's own horn, or not, not believe it, but there's a lot about the false modesty that is so important here because if you're not out there and focusing on your value so people can discover you and you can be of service to those who need you, well, now you haven't tapped into your nonfiction brand, but you're also kind of in a non-starter situation. I love that you talk about that. 
Well, it's so important because, you know, I, I'm from the Midwest of America. And if you've got people listening from around the world, it's important to know that not all Americans are as braggy as people from Texas, California, or New York. <laughs> Let me tell you. And there's a big difference because I literally grew up in that kind of Midwestern sensibility of you're no better than anybody else, young man. You put your pants on one leg at a time, you know, and your best friend could be a multimillionaire and you know him from high school and you're still best buddies because you are who you are and always will be who you mm -hmm. are. You know, that type of, the only thing I can truly own is myself, my experience, my voice, my ex my expertise that I've developed over the years, and my ability to share it. Now, you've mentioned my book and that you like the way I write things. Well, mm -hmm. that's not surprising. I've been a copywriter for 30 years, but here's the thing most people don't know about me as a copywriter. My degree's in theater. I was an actor in my nebulous 20s. I decided I wanted to be something else when I wanted to maybe attract a woman to marry me. And uh, somehow, uh, I, the thing I found about, out about women is they, they like to date actors, but they don't like to marry them. So <laughs> uh, when I decided I was ready to get married, I decided I needed a career. So I looked at what I was good at. Literally, what are you good at? And I had been on camera and in the audio booth doing voiceovers and stuff like that. And I would get a script and it would be a 60 second radio commercial with 75 seconds of copy in it because no one put out a stopwatch on it, you know? And so I would look at this stuff and go, I can write better than that. I can write better than that. I can write at least as good as that. And that eventually became something that I remembered when I decided that, huh, maybe start a career. Because one of the, and I actually write about this in the book, when I was a kid, uh, I'm old enough to remember when Alex Haley's blockbuster book came out, Roots. It was the first miniseries that just took off hugely, launched the careers of LeVar Burton and countless other actors. But I remember reading about Alex Haley, and I actually was so intrigued by the miniseries Roots, I got his autobiography and read it. And the thing that blew me away was that, did you know that Alex Haley, the internationally known novelist, had an entire full mature career before he ever started writing? He was a Coast Guardsman and he was an African-American Coast Guardsman when African-Americans could only be stewards or cooks on the ships that the Coast Guard would run. So he did that. and. Over time, his shipmates discovered that he could write fairly well, so he started charging them so that they would write letters to the sailors' moms, to the Coast Guardsmen's moms, and what would happen is the moms would get those letters that are so rich and descriptive and so full of love and caring and detail that the Coast Guardsmen would go, whatever you did on the last letter, do it again, and I'll pay you. And what he discovered was, Oh, my natural ability in writing, someone will pay me for it. Huh. I remembered that idea and thought to myself, well, I can write better than most because I'm not afraid of it. Maybe I could get a career. And it's a whole long story how I got into advertising and stuff like that. But I eventually became an advertising copywriter. 
And I pulled on everything I learned in theater class as an actor because I understand how to analyze a script. I could certainly write scripts. I could definitely talk to audiences. And because I watched Bewitched as a kid, <laughs> I remembered that Darren Stevens was an ad guy. And so I at least had in, in my head that, oh, advertising was a thing and maybe I could do it. Now, I wish I had known Don Draper long before that, but that Don Draper came later. And let me tell you, I, as I like to tell people when they go, what's a copywriter do? I say, did you ever watch Mad Men? Well, it's Don Draper without the extramarital sex. So I really love what you just said about how much acting and being able to break down a script informed your work. So can you speak to that specifically? Because I think there are people oh, listening yeah. who will understand that and find that helpful. Okay, well, this is key because a lot of people, and this is not unanalogous to what I'm talking about here, mm -hmm. because there are people who think actors, oh, oh, they just memorize words and then they say them. And you go, yeah, there are actors who do that. And then there are actors who understand the script, break it down, understand it at a deeper level, create a character that has such subtlety and difference that you could have the same actor do the same part and it comes out totally different to an audience. And that's why, frankly, uh, you cast individuals uh, differently for different parts because they have an innate facility toward a certain style or something like that. If you're an actor, every script, the first thing you do is you analyze the script, the story being told, not only the story being told, but the characters telling it. Because again, good playwrights know this, every story has multiple characters and every character sees the story a little bit differently. And you know, you can go back to Kurosawa and, and Rashomon and movies that have multiple points of view in, during the telling of the narrative, and you really see that in action. But what I'm talking about here is that as an actor, I look at it from the point of my character, who I am cast to be in that thing. So consequently, the, the evil thing that other people may see my character do is not inherently evil to my character. It's absolutely apropos or uh, appropriate for my character to do that because it needs to be done like that within the framework of a, a play or a script or a, a movie a screenplay. But that whole analysis part came in hugely in handy when I started working on personal branding and things like that. Because people go, well, I don't, I, what I do is kind of boring. And how could you ever be a personal brand in something that, that's, that is that boring? To which I say, hold on, whatever your field of endeavor is, Think about the conferences or associations that you can attend within that field of study. You know, I always use the example of aluminum anodization. What is aluminum anodization? It's the coating of aluminum to make it more durable or colorful. So if you've ever seen a, a coffee cup or something like that, that has a, a pretty metallic something on it, someone had to put that coating there. Well, there's an association that has to deal with how you do that. And at that association, they have speakers. And of those speakers, who gets selected to be the speaker at the International Symposium on Aluminum Anodization? The answer is the person who is best known as an expert on that incredibly specific thing. 
So if you think, well, you know, I only deal with making plastic more durable as part of my job, that's not very interesting. Au contraire, mon frere, <laughs> that's really interesting to the people who want more durable plastic. And again, you're not talking to everybody, because let me tell you, I don't care about making plastic more durable, but to the people whose livelihoods depend on making plastics more durable, you are incredibly valuable. And the funniest thing is, the more narrow your niche, the more money you can charge. Okay, explain that. I love you had a great line in your book. I'm quoting you again. There are riches in those niches. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's a line I heard from Pat Flynn, who has a great podcast, the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Pat Flynn, uh, at least he's the one I heard it from. There are uh, riches in the niches or riches in the <laughs> niches, depending on how you pronounce things. But the whole point is that he was trying to make was. The, the more narrow you get, the more specific you are, the more like a scalpel you are, a purpose-built tool to do one thing. I like to compare a scalpel to a Swiss Army knife. A Swiss Army knife has a crappy knife, a crappy corkscrew, and a, even an unsanitary toothpick. <laughs> but a scalpel is purpose-built to heal, to help, to do one thing and do it perfectly to the highest possible level. Guess which costs more? You can get an all-you-can-eat, you know, Swiss Army knife for 50 bucks. If you're going into surgery, you're going to want one of those $150 scalpels because if they're going to cut open your knee to put it in a new joint or something like that, you want to make sure it is absolutely guaranteed to be sterile, that it is sharp as a razor, sharper than a razor, and it is purpose-built to do the job that you are actually buying it to do. A scalpel? is a niche tool. A Swiss Army knife is a one-size-fits-all, good-enough-for-everybody tool. Mm -hmm. If you, based on what you do, are more like a scalpel than a Swiss Army knife, be the scalpel. And by the way, people who've bought Swiss Army knife-type uh, people in the past, like, oh, I can do your social media, and I can take your photos, and I can do your posting, and I can do your Google Analytics, and I can do your SEO. If you've ever hired one of those I-do-everything people, you realize you do everything eh, poorly to mediocre, as opposed to all I do is one thing. I do it absolutely to the best possible, highest level achievable. And consequently, you're gonna pay me a little bit more. And again, you, you don't have to be a homeowner very long to understand that a, a $25 an hour plumber is not as good as a $100 an hour plumber because the $100 an hour plumber comes once, fixes it perfectly, and you never call him again. The $25 an hour plumber comes fixes it for a week and then it's leaking again and then you have to call them back and that's 50 bucks and uh, it's still not it's still not right and by the way he tracked in a bunch of mud when he came into my house and uh, oh my god he smoked he smoked in my house what no you get what you pay for so if you want to get paid most effectively for what you do best that is what you should be basing your brand upon because it's based on your experience, who you are, what you do, and how you do it. And you can prove it over and over and over again because you've demonstrated it over and over and over again.
This is where so many people listening to the podcast who come from the on-camera world are raising their hands to the sky because they want every producer, every television executive, every brand person to agree with you when it's challenging the world because there's an idea that anyone can do it or things get devalued or that idea that we just, you know, we just need a college student to get it done. But this is where, so I want to explain, because this is also a really great point and I fully support you, brand versus commodity. Oh you, my gosh. Okay, so number one, you mentioned early on in our conversation that job one of branding is differentiation. And how do I know that? Because branding was created for one reason, and that is so that I could brand my cow as mine and your cow has a different brand on it. Literally, back when they branded with a hot iron, the, the cow hide on a cow, it was merely to make sure that my brown cow was recognizable as my brown cow and your brown cow was your brown cow. Differentiation, job one of branding. It, you need to do it to differentiate yourself. The job two of branding is demonstration, demonstrating that you are in fact different. And an example I like to use because everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about are two brands, Jeep and Land Rover. Now, Land Rover is starting to make some moves in the marketplace that I do not agree with. And I'll, you'll understand in a second what I mean. Because if I said four wheel, rugged four wheel drive in the dusty, far southwest of the United States of America with tall sandstone towers and uh, surrounded by roving Mustangs, uh, you know, uh, riding off into the sunset. Which brand is it? Is it Jeep or is it Land Rover? Most people are going to say Jeep mm -hmm. because Jeep is quintessentially American. What's more American than the kind of cowboy American West? On the other hand, if I said rugged automobile or rugged uh, four-wheel drive vehicle on the plains of the Serengeti surrounded by warthogs and, and giraffes and zebras and lions and people are wearing khaki and maybe some of them have kind of jaunty pith helmety type things on and stuff like that. Is that a Jeep or is that a Land Rover? Well, most people are going to say, well, that's a Land Rover. Why? They're the same thing as a commodity four-wheel drive rugged vehicle can handle being off-road they're the same thing and yet they're entirely different because they've gone from commodity four-wheel drive rugged can handle off-road and become a brand which is rugged made in america jeep so much so that people in europe go out of their why out of their way to buy a jeep because they want to present themselves or get for themselves the flavor of the American West. Meanwhile, people in America go out of their way to buy Land Rover because they want to be perceived as a little bit more, I don't know, British, a little bit more, yes, I'm on safari, then, uh, you know, whatever. They're the same darn thing. And yet they command entirely different spaces in our brains and again, higher dollars that's the way brands work if you're not a if you're not a brand you are in fact a commodity let me give you an example if you ha are a cpa an mba a phd uh whatever e-i-e-i-o after your name any of that stuff that comes after your name that just puts you in a higher class barrel of other commodities that have the same thing if you've got a cpa you're as good as the worst person in that barrel of CPAs. You're a commodity. 
and you're interchangeable unless you're not because you're a brand. Could you now explain what key three is? Because this yeah. is the really big, awesome deliverance in your that, you know, you deliver on the promise. Well, okay. So many people think, well, a brand, it's, it's so many different things. It's too many moving parts. How do I figure out all these things? And the answer is you can go very deep in creating your brand, but I suggest you do what I learned to, from my experience working on Coca-Cola. Back when I was a young uh, copywriter at McCann Erickson in Atlanta, Georgia, I would regularly have my butt handed to me by my creative director or by the Coke clients themselves if I couldn't answer the three questions. How does this radio spot say authenticity, refreshment, and sociability? Those three words, authenticity, refreshment, and sociability. Now, I could go into hour-long discussions about what those words actually mean, but let's just uh, stipulate that those three words encapsulate the core pillars or the three-legged stool that is Coca-Cola. Every commercial you do has got to be uh, conveying authenticity, refreshment, and sociability. Sociability, you don't drink it by yourself, so you drink it at family gatherings, at picnics, at football games. Coca-Cola is a necessity at those things. Refreshment, it's that, oh, it's a hot day, or it's a, ooh, it just hits the spot, or mm, it makes food taste better. All of those things, refreshment. And then authenticity, it's the real thing. I mean, literally, they don't necessarily use it's the real thing as a slogan anymore, but you'll see it come back every couple of years, some version of it. It's the real thing, the one and only, always has been. It's always, remember, always Coca-Cola? <laughs> Those are all conveying authenticity. The other thing is that bottle shape, that green bottle shape. When's the last time you saw a green bottle of Coca-Cola anywhere? I mean, seriously, you can find it. Typically, Costco has Mexican Coke in those green glass bottles available. We get the mini bottles here in Brooklyn. Those are easy yeah, to get. In, yeah, in exactly. You can get the mini bottles, but you have to beg the question, why would they go out of their way to make mini bottles in that, what they call the contour bottle shape? Mm -hmm. Why would they do that? It looks cool in your refrigerator. It looks great It on goes bar. all the way back mm -hmm. to the original creative brief on building a bottle creating a bottle that would be distinguished or differentiated in an ice box back when they actually were ice boxes that had no light in them. Part of the, the creative brief was that as people are reaching in and trying to find it, their fingers can identify the bottle by the shape of it. So people are engaging tactily with the brand that is Coca-Cola long before they see the bottle way before they even taste the liquid inside it. So the brand Coca-Cola starts before they can actually see it. I mean, this is how brilliant Coca-Cola has been as a brand. So much so that uh, there was a movie in, I think the late seventies, early eighties called The Gods Must Be Crazy about uh, a, someone throws a green glass Coke bottle out the window of a plane flying over the Serengeti and some Kalahari Bushmen find it and they think it's some gift from God because it's hard, it's shiny, it's it's colorful, it's it's got all these magical properties. If your product, if you're what I would call commodity product, because again, a cola is a commodity product, 
if your commodity product is not a commodity so much that they do a film about it where your product is in the film, you know you've got a brand. So the key three, authenticity, refreshment, sociability. At the time when I worked on Coca-Cola, those were the key three ideas that had to be conveyed in every Coca-Cola communication of any sort, even press release, you name it, it all had to convey those things. So I learned from that, that, oh, a brand should have three key ideas. Consequently, you know, the, I coined key three, cause what it rhymes, it's easier to remember, right? Then I started thinking about, huh, what about a brand like the United States of America, USA? Is that a brand? Heck yeah, it is. It's one of the strongest brands on the face of the planet. We know that for sure every four years when we go to the Olympics, everything, red, white, and blue, all these things are part of the brand that is USA. But I'll go uh, and tr uh, translate that into a key three of three concepts, ideas, or phrases that sum it up by pointing to something that that fantastic advertising copywriter Thomas Jefferson wrote, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Those three concepts, when we as a nation are at our best, are absolutely recognized as this is the place where you can go have a life, have liberty, and pursue whatever your version of happiness is. Unlike a lot of countries where it's, it's locked down by caste systems or class systems, the United States of America, if you have a dream, desire, you have the freedom to do that, and boy, isn't that fantastic. The US of A is a brand. When I do these talks about branding, I even throw up a, a flag, the Betsy Ross flag, you know, the, the circle. Why are there 13 stripes? Why are there 13 stars? Well, there were 13 colonies. Yeah, right. Well, but why aren't some of the stars smaller than others? Because Rhode Island is tiny compared to Virginia or New York. And the point was, well, because we're all equal, even though we may be different sized states or colonies at the time, we're all equal. And so consequently, the American flag is a brand communication. Do you, do you, are you tracking with me? I mean, literally, the stars and stripes are there to communicate our brand. It's not just the, the, the flag that people rally around on a battlefield. It's a brand communication that says, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Out of all these many pieces, we're all part of one great flag that is based on a key three principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So key three, how does that apply to you? Well, let me give you my example. Because when I, I was thinking about this, you know, I need a key three. I need a key three. Everyone needs a key three. Yeah, they do. And so I was thinking about myself. And um, one of the things I did was I didn't just think about what am I good at? I started asking other people. And I expected, oh, you're a pretty good writer. Oh, you're really funny. You can write some funny stuff. Or, oh, I've, I've read some of your stuff that kind of made me almost cry. They didn't say anything about writing. What they said was, you know what you're really good at? You always make me think, even when I don't want to. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So this so is what, what I call tapping into your superpowers. Well, exactly. What is my superpower? It's to provoke people. And I, I never want to provoke in an evil way or anything, but in a kind way. 
but I do want to make people think. I want them to question their assumptions. I want them, I hate the term think outside of the box, but I want them to think beyond the artificial barriers mm -hmm. that they put up for themselves and say, wait a minute, think about this. And I do it with a smile on my face and kindness in my heart. And most people get it that, oh, even if I'm saying, you know, yeah, this is kind of a bad thing that you're doing. I'm doing it to make them better, to help them. So I'm, I'm being deliberately provocative. The other thing I do is I work with other people. I have to work with other people. I am not a poet up in a garret somewhere writing poetry that no one's going to read. I have to tell other people's stories and help them discover the truth about who they are, what they do, and how they do it. So the word collaborative became a big one. So you're a thought-provoking uh, collaborator. Right. So provocative, collaborative, and creative. So what's my company name again? Oh, Collaborator Creative. I'm making a promise in my company name. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to be creative. And by the way, the way I do it is by provoking you and working together to create the provocative stories that attract eyeballs and open wallets and create lifelong relationships. Mm. So again, if you said, I uh, met this cool guy, his name's DP, boy, he's really cool because he, he's a creative. He works on the creative side of the fence in all things, you know, whether it's uh, writing or uh, as a creative director work, you know, you're not going to get spreadsheets for me. Sorry, you're just not. That's not what I do. But what I do do is come up with creative ideas with you collaboratively. So creative and collaboratively. And he also likes to push it beyond our comfort zone. You know, I have a technique I, I call the Goldilocks technique when presenting stuff to clients. You got to show baby bear, which is the idea that the client said they want to see. <laughs> you got to show them mama it. bear, which kind of scares them a little bit, but they're, it's not that bad. But you also have to bring a papa bear, which is big and hairy and scary. Throughout my entire career, this is the technique I've used. Of those three ideas, two are regular sellers. Baby Bear, which was their idea in the first place that we just made better as much as we could as collaborators. Or Papa Bear, which is, oh, we could never do that. Then they start going, we, we, we could never, could we, maybe we could, well, maybe not this year, but okay, let's do Baby Bear this year. But next year, let's do the Papa Bear concept because I'm starting to get really excited about it. And it's telling the truth about who we are, what we do and how we do it. So it's not that I'm afraid that we're over promising and under delivering. It's just that, can we be that bold? And notice the word I used was bold, not braggy. It's mm -hmm. not about bragging. It's about boldly claiming that which is yours and nonfiction branding or my uh, approach to personal branding using the techniques of nonfiction branding are merely claiming that which is already yours. There is a spotlight that you create by what you do, how you do it, and the value you provide. And if you aren't claiming it, don't worry, your boss will, or your supervisor will, or your uh, more uh, confident, uh, close collaborator will. Let me tell you, I, I love to think that we live in a world where people give credit more than they take. That is a lie. People take credit more than they give. So why not take that which is yours, 
own it fully, not in a braggadocious way, but in a, yes, I created this. And then proudly stand there as people go, wow, could you do that for me? And the answer is, of course I can, because that's exactly who I am, what I do, and how I do it. Mm. GP, I love this so much. I am now a full-on card-carrying member of the fan club. So where can everyone find you and reach out if they want to work with you or if they want to listen to your podcast or subscribe to newsletters or whatever you got going on? How do you like people to reach you? Well, uh, the main thing is, uh, surprise, surprise, dpknewton.com. That's K-N-U, D as in David, T as in Tom, E as in Edward, N as in nothing. <laughs> uh, you can go to dpknewton.com and you can find everything about me. There's also a nonfictionbrand.com website where if you went to nonfictionbrand.com slash gift, you can download three PDFs absolutely free. And I'll be honest with you, I would love to say that I have this great click funnel system for an email list and all that stuff. I'm a shoemaker's children kind of creative guy, which is, yeah, I, I create these things, but uh, I just give them away free. Uh, I, I, I think my website asks you to join my email list, but guess what? I never send anything to it, so don't worry about that. And you don't even have to sign up for the email list to get the downloadable PDFs. But if you go, You'll get one, uh, one of the PDFs is all about the key three, like five simple questions to get you started thinking about creating your own key three. Then the two others are some social media techniques I like to encourage people to use today to begin personal branding yourself via whatever social media channels, you know, that you uh, find most valuable for yourself. One of them is called uh, Learn to Love the Like Plus, which is all about what I call comment marketing. Marketing oh, yourself this. via comments. So let's say, Barbara, you post something that I, I see on LinkedIn and I thought, oh, that's really good. What I would do is I would say, hey, at Barbara Abel, why do I at tag you? So that you're notified that I put this comment up. I just saw this post, really loved it especially this specific thing about it. Have you ever heard this thing related to it or something similar to it? I think you might find it interesting. Let me know if you'd like a copy or something like that. What did I do in there? One, it, it, um, and bear with me as I go through this. A, I appreciated. Thank you, Barbara. B, I recognized, that's the at Barbara Abel, that's so that you get notified that I commented on your post. I then added to what you wrote, like if you wrote about, let's say, uh, how to be more comfortable on camera. I love your technique about blankety blankety blank. One of the things I've learned is always do this. Well, like as an actor, here's an old actor technique. You wanna make sure you don't have shifty eyes while you're talking always look into the downstage eye of the actor you're talking to. Meaning, if I'm always looking at only one eye, my eyes don't shift. So I can't have shifty eyes. So let's say I put that technique into a comment to you. I've added to your comment mm -hmm. and made it more valuable. I then ask you a question that I, I think of as teeing up a golf ball. I'm teeing up a golf ball I know you can crush so that all of a sudden my comment back to you becomes a conversation between the two of us. 
And then hopefully others as they hop on saying, oh, that's a really cool thing, et cetera, et cetera. Because there is no poster alive that will not respond to a question to their comment because they understand how algorithms work, which is if people are asking questions, if there's a conversation going on in the comments, that must be a pretty good post. Let's share it more widely. So what I'm doing is I'm helping you. You're helping me. It's a mutual back scratch, but it's adding value to anyone who might have the opportunity to, to actually read that comment. That worksheet, the learn to love the, or learn to like the, no, <laughs> learn to love the like plus, sorry, uh, you got to have a mnemonic device for everything. It's called the like plus because you're adding, it's not just a like, it's a like plus a whole lot more stuff. You can get that worksheet, another one called the unselfish selfie, how to make sure every selfie you do actually shines the, the, the spotlight on other people and yet make sure that it reflects well on you. That's the unselfish selfie. You can learn about that with the other worksheets. So again, three PDFs, absolutely free. Download them at nonfictionbrand.com slash gift. DP, you are the gift who keeps on giving. You are nuggets are us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope you'll come back one day. And I want to thank oh, yeah. the audience. All you have to do is ask. Oh, fantastic. I hope this is the beginning of a beautiful relationship. And I want to thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you're interested in media coaching for you or your team, please shoot me a note and please be sure to visit ableintermedia.com and download my free ebook. 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, hit the subscribe button if you haven't already.